Hey everybody and welcome to this edition, a special edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. Joining us, of course, are the Sunshine Boys themselves, Joe Henderson, Ira Kaufman. Tim Williams is with us from Boston and Ira is on site for Super Bowl 51 in Houston, Texas, uh, where he will be making the case for John Lynch, former Tampa Bay Buccaneers star, to get into the Hall of Fame Ira. Welcome to the show from beautiful downtown Houston, and I know it's crazy down there. Hey, James. I rolled in uh, rolled in last night. Uh, a lot of people at the airport, obviously. Uh, came to the media center today. All the streets of downtown Houston blocked off, Jim. Uh, you know, this is the nerve center. The convention center is usually the place to be. Uh, Radio Row, Jim, is crazy. It's going to be even crazier tomorrow. Kind of, kind of reaches a, a crescendo on Friday. That's when all the stars come out. Now, Lady Gaga did her, her press conference today. She didn't perform, guys, like Prince did uh, or some other people did, uh, but uh, she was very engaging. Um, and now, guys, I, I've been uh, busy taking the temperature uh, of the room for Saturday uh, vis-a-vis uh, the candidates for the uh, class of 2017. We have a couple of... Um people that uh, that are interesting to us jason taylor what are your thoughts on him joe ira what what, is jason taylor Uh, ready uh joe uh, my thoughts uh, initially are that um he's a guy where you look at him and you say well he's gonna have a bust in canton the question is when joe and guys as much as the players try to deny it uh believe me there's a little special cachet with getting in your first year of eligibility. It's sort of the club within the club. Joe knows that. That's why it was so important to Warren Sapp in 2013. Brooks was a no-brainer, of course. So there's nothing in the bylaws that say there should be a pecking order, should be a queue. But it's sort of an unwritten rule that uh, unless a Brett Favre comes along or a Barry Sanders, Jerry Rice, Joe Montana, somebody of that uh, ilk, uh, and maybe LaDainian Tomlinson is of that quality, um, but if you're not, you, you probably have to wait your turn, guys. That's just the way it is. How about Isaac? Yeah, Bruce? I would. I would think that's right. I'm sorry, I didn't. I, I did my usual my usual cutting up of Joe's uh, voice. You know, so. you know, you lead into me and then you cut me off. I'm just saying. Um, you know, he, um, yeah. Um, no, I think it's, Taylor. I agree with my my friend Ira, who has a whole lot more say in this than I do. But uh, as a voter, but yeah, I think Jason Taylor will be in the Hall of Fame, uh, just not this year. Uh, Other people ahead of him in line, and that's just kind of the way it works. Isaac Bruce, what do you think? Isaac Bruce, um, you know, wide receivers, it's very difficult, guys. You know, Andre Reid, Tim Brown, Chris Carter, they all had to wait their turn. Terrell Owens is still back, uh, back for a second year. People can't believe he didn't get in last year. Uh, Isaac Bruce, um, definitely not this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Very much of a long shot um, down the line, possibly, uh, but he could be a, sort of a five-year project. Could be. Very cool. There's one name on the list here, guys, that baffles me as to why he isn't there. Maybe Ira, you and Joe, Tim – can tell me why. How about Don Coriel? Well, it's funny you mention that, Jim. Now, Tim and Joe might not know this, but this year uh, they've tweaked the rules a little bit. Now, usually there's 46 selectors. They're all media. Mm-hmm. This year there's 48. 
this this year there's 48 voters. Two two Hall of Famers are going to be in the room with a vote, and those two guys are James Lofton and Dan Fouts. Now, mm-hmm. after the San Diego representative makes his pitch for Don Coryell, guys, um, everybody assumes, and I think rightfully so, that Dan Fouts is going to grab the microphone and make a very impassioned uh, case for Don Coryell, uh, his coach, mm-hmm. who knows him better than Fouts. Um, this is the first time that Hall of Famers are in the room uh, and speaking and have a vote. So, you know, you might give a little more credence to a Dan Fouts than a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think Fouts' candidacy will be bolstered by the fact that Dan Fouts is in that room, Joe. I, I happen to think Coryell's in the wrong category, Joe. I, if he was a contributor, I think he'd be a no-brainer. But as a coach, you got to look at his coaching record, and, and I'm not sure it's good enough. Well, I don't see any Super Bowl rings there, for one. And number two, he was an innovator. Give him that. Eric Coriel um, was, you know, the precursor to what we see now. And it was entertaining, and it was effective. He made it to conference championship game. But, you, you know, if you're going to be a coach, uh, uh, tell me this, Ira, would Tony Dungy have gotten in if he didn't have a ring? The answer is no. The answer is no. Well, there you go. Would there not. you go. He would not. It's a shame because Coriel had a lot of – I mean, the coaching tree for Coriel was pretty amazing. Uh, by the way, Jim, there's a there's an old Patriot that uh, Tim probably saw play a lot uh, that's on the ballot. I believe it's his first year, and his name's Ty Law. Um, mm-hmm. Heck of a cornerback. Um, played big in big games. I believe he had a, a three-pick game against Peyton Manning in the playoffs. Uh, Tim, am yeah. I wrong about that? He also returned to kickoff for a touchdown against the Steelers in 2001. It was a big reason that they got to the Super Bowl that year. He was he was he was excellent in combination with a lot of guys, and he was the best player on that defense for a long time. You know, Ira, go back to Don Coriel for a moment. Uh, who was his last game that he uh, coached against in the NFL? Don't tell me you're going to say your beloved Bengals. Your beloved Bucks. My beloved Bucks. Oh, my God. Oh what my game God. was first, that, Joe? Because we were probably at it. The <laughs> first home win in Bucks history. Hank Stram got fired for losing to the Bucks on the road, oh. and Coriel <clears throat> lost his gig with the Cardinals. Oh, wow, man. Wow, that's outstanding, Joe. That's outstanding. We um, actually won those some, games. <laughs> Jim, he had some good years in St. Louis. He did yeah. with Jim Hart. Yes, he did. Uh, you know, they had some nice teams, Terry Metcalf. Uh, the problem was they were looking up to the Cowboys in that division, uh, you know, and they couldn't quite get over the hump. Uh, then he went to San Diego. But Joe's right. Um, for a coach to get in without a championship ring, very, very difficult. Well, take us inside the room. You're going to give a presentation for John Lynch, and, and I don't want you to, you know, to give away your, your – your trade oh, I don't mind. Right? I don't mind giving. I don't mind giving away some of the. Uh, points All right. I'm well, make you can give. Them, you can. You can do that. But how long do you have to make your presentation? And what happens after? Is there a Jim, debate? We, or what goes? Jim, we 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 start the meeting about seven thirty. It's the morning mm-hmm. before the Super Bowl. It's right, right. here in the convention center. Mm-hmm. Uh, we gather at seven o'clock because, uh, as Henderson will tell tell you. Uh, Sports writers don't want to miss a free breakfast, so the breakfast is served <laughs> at, at 7, uh, okay. and when we get there, it's 7. Um, there's 18 names on the list, guys. 
There's 15 mm-hmm. modern-day candidates. I think it's 14 players and Don Coriel as mm-hmm. a coach. There's two contributors. That's be Paul Tagliabue and Jerry Jones. Mm-hmm. And there's one senior candidate, which is Kenny Easley, the old safety from uh, the Seahawks. Wow. Eight, so that means there's 18 different spe- speeches. Okay. And, and the city where the guy played his predominant uh, mm-hmm. uh, career uh, right. is, is the representative. So I've been the Tampa mm-hmm. Bay representative since 05. And it's been a very busy time because we're kind of honoring, you know, the Bucks when they they were during their glory days. Mm-hmm. Um, so after each presentation, and by the way, we just got an email from the hall saying they would like to limit the presentations to five minutes each. Five Oof. minutes. Now, I'm trying to sum up, guys, a 15-year career for John Lynch in five minutes. I've written out my speech. I got a, I rehearsed it in front of my wife. Uh, she. Uh, she, she gave me a, a sitting ovation when I, when I was done. <laughs> uh, uh, Side I timed it. It, it, it. It's seven minutes, and I don't think that's bad. That's kind of right, right where I – that sweet spot that I want. Some guys are going to go 10 or 12 minutes. Uh, Joe, Joe's given speeches to Rotary Clubs. Jim, you've talked to people. Sometimes yeah. the more you talk, uh, less is more. Less right, is more. Right. So I'm going to make my points about Lynch. Now, after each presentation, there is mm-hmm. discussion. Now, having said that, the guy that presented Brett Favre last year stood up and said, ladies and gentlemen, I present Brett Favre, and he sat down. He sat down. (laughs) He never said another word, and there was no discussion. And we all applauded because he saved us 15 or 20 minutes in the room. There you go. It's a nine-hour meeting, Jim, so every little bit counts. Uh, John Lynch is not on the Brett Favre level. Even Henderson would say that. Um, So there's going to be discussion. Now, last year, Terrell Owens was in the room for the first time, and I don't mm-hmm. know how Tim feels about Terrell Owens, but by the numbers, Terrell Owens is a no-brainer, open mm-hmm. and shut, Terrell Owens. Uh, but it wasn't that way because after the presentation for Owens uh, came a few people who talked to Owens's head coaches, mm-hmm. teammates through the years for different teams, and they all said the guy was extremely divisive and he was a terrible teammate. And while the bylaws say you're only supposed to count what the guy did as a player, and that helped me with the Warren Sapp presentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the difference is, guys, and, and, and I'm curious to see what, what the three of you think it is. Uh, I believe what kind of teammate the guy was uh, counts. I think it's fair to factor it in, even though it's not uh, what he did on the playing field. Uh, it's a natural extension uh, of a guy as a player. Uh, um, Joe, do you disagree with that on, on Terrell Owens? Well, no, I think that's the, a separator uh for the Hall of Fame. Now, was a diva. No, I mean, he was one of the, the first really big divas, uh, and he got away with it because he was so good. But would you say he was a great teammate, even though he was a great player? I mean, you know, I wasn't in his locker room, so I would, I would depend on the people who were closer to that situation than I. But, you know, I think it's a legitimate question on him. Uh, you know, did he make his teams better? Yes. Did he have? Does he have the numbers for the Hall of Fame? Most definitely. Uh, get in eventually, but I think he's going to have to sweat it out for a while, and maybe put a little more time and space between the end of his career and and when the decisive vote for him is taken. Absolutely. Now, Tim, Tim, another guy that might face the same kind of questions, almost, uh, is a guy in next year's class, which is Randy Moss. Um, who was sensational in Minnesota, went to New England, 
and just uh, was outrageous in 2007, right, Tim? Um, uh, but uh, Randy Moss is a guy who said he played hard when he wanted to. That don't sit well with the writers. Um, <laughs> he could he could be divisive. Um, Tim, what's your thoughts on Randy Moss as 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 a uh, Hall of Fame candidate? I think it's it's very similar to Owens in that football is more than anything else a team sport. So you have to take into account the kind of teammate a player was when evaluating what kind of football player they were. Because you can't be an individual wide receiver. Someone has to block for the quarterback, and the quarterback has to find you and throw you the ball. So, yes, I think both of them have every bit the talent you would need to get in the Hall of Fame. Their numbers speak for themselves. And with Owens, when it comes down to it, he played with an injury in the Super Bowl and played well. Moss, when it came down to it and he needed to be quiet for one season and play the way a team wanted him to play, he did what the Patriots wanted, and he was excellent for that one year. Then again, he could have stayed in New England longer and chose not to because of the kind of teammate he is. He could have stayed in Minnesota longer and chose not to because of the kind of teammate he is. So I, that's something that at least has to be weighed. I don't know if it invalidates his Hall of Fame candidacy. I think he was good enough that I think his talent outweighs that, but it certainly has to be considered. Hey, can I give uh, Terrell Owens points, Ira, for harassing Donovan McNabb? <laughs> Absolutely, Jim. Um, Thank you. I, hey, I mean, hey, anybody who hey, drives him crazy is good with me. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Ari. Hey, 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 Jim, Jim one yes. little wrinkle. One little wrinkle. Uh, you know, one of the things about doing these presentations is, you know, you do heavy research on these guys, and you find out some stuff you didn't even know. And, and mm-hmm. Tim would be interested in this. Um, but when Lynch retired after the 07 season in Denver, he played four years in Denver, and he made the Pro Bowl all four years, and he's in their ring of honor. So he's in two teams' ring of honor. So – he retires after 2007. He's 36 years old. And, guys, you know who called John Lynch almost on a daily basis in the spring of 2008 to try to get him to reconsider his retirement was a, was a man named Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick was relentlessly haranguing Lynch uh, to come to New England and resume his playing career. And as a matter of fact, Tim... Uh, he joined the Pats uh, in training camp and played uh, in some preseason games. And in the last preseason game, which is the last time Lynch was ever on a football field, he played the entire game, the final preseason game that nobody wants to play, uh, especially if you're a veteran. He told Belichick, let me play the whole game. And Belichick said, okay. And he did it, and he walked off the field. But Belichick wanted a 36-year-old safety, and he wanted him bad. And don't think I'm not going to mention that in, in, in the room on Saturday. Yeah, that was that, that was a really interesting time in, in the Boston area. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a you're right, Joe. I mean that uh, that could be a clincher right there. I really, that's a that's a very good piece of uh, information. Now, now, yeah. now, Jim, one thing we haven't mentioned, guys, mm-hmm. um, and, and I, I need your take on it. Um, this year, Lynch, uh, you know, besides facing, you know, 14 other candidates, and by the way, only five can make it in, in a particular class, mm-hmm. five out of 15. 
Now, Henderson, you weren't very good in math, but you know that that's 33.3%. You know that. Um, so 10 guys, that out. <laughs> Jim, 10 guys walk away disappointed every mm-hmm. year, 10 out of 15. So the fans have to realize that when they say, how could so-and-so not get in? You know, my answer always is, who do you want to take out? But, Thanks. you know, uh, for the Lynch presentation, Jim, this year, he, he's got a direct competitor in, in Brian Dawkins. Now, this is Lynch's fourth year in a row in that room to be discussed as a finalist. Mm-hmm. This is Dawkins. This is Dawkins' first year of eligibility. He's a first-year candidate. Uh, Tim, by the numbers, Brian Dawkins has it over John Lynch. I can't win the statistical battle against Brian Dawkins. He's all over the stat board. He's got 25 forced fumbles, 36 interceptions, 20 sacks. Lynch doesn't have that. So I'm a little concerned uh, about Dawkins and maybe, Joe, maybe at the very least they split the votes, and that's not going to help Lynch. So that's what I'm facing this year, and I have to make the argument that Lynch made more of an impact on on a defense that was more iconic. I think we'd all agree mm-hmm. that uh, that buck that buck defense w- was one of the great ones uh, for that length of time. And guys, Lynch Lynch played a vital role. So, do you guys see Brian Dawkins in his first year flying right past Lynch and uh, and taking over uh, that spot? Do you, do you see that happening? I I actually could, um, unfortunately for uh, for John, who I really uh, respect as a as a man and as a player, but you remember where Brian Dawkins played his career, and and he's up there with you know he's he's seen uh, twice a year by the New York media, he's he's seen by the Washington media, you know you've Dallas. got that whole Dallas Dallas, yeah, Dallas. and and you know. Those guys are gonna they're gonna be naturally, I would guess, predisposed to say, what are you talking about? Ira, this guy's got more better numbers than your guy. And uh what what I would think of with Lynch, and this doesn't get mentioned often, uh off nearly often enough, I think, was everybody credits the Bucks defense turnaround to when Brooks and Sapp arrived. And certainly, you know, uh, their presence in, in Canton shows that. But it actually started the year before when John Lynch got there. And he began to get that secondary, uh, which, as we all realize, Ira, we saw enough bad football over the years, was a leaking sieve. He began to really kind of change the attitude back there. And then when they got more depth around there, the, the Bucks took off. But I think the rebuild started with John Lynch. I really do. Let me ask both you guys. Um... Dawkins didn't play in a, a system like the Tampa two that that, uh, right. that you guys are talking about. So it's a little bit of an apples and an oranges kind of thing. In so much as you know, John played in a system. Dawkins played more of a freelancer. I think that's a tremendous point, Jim. I wish you were in the room with me. You'd, you'd be making that point right with me. But uh, I think that's outstanding. Lynch played in a very uh, rigid system he had a certain role eighth man in the box sometimes shadow to tight end sometimes you're right Dawkins had a lot more freedom um and I think that led to uh better statistics now guys I I have spent much of uh, the day uh talking to Hall of Fame selectors 
Um, and while I'm not politicking, I do want to know what the temperature of the room is going to be uh, this Saturday. For instance, uh, in New Orleans uh, in 2013, when I got to town, I was told directly by some of the selectors with Warren Sapp, you got your work cut out, Kaufman. You're in trouble, Kaufman. And I found out, much to my dismay, that these writers, a significant number of them, they wanted to make Sapp uh, grovel. They wanted to make him wait. They weren't going to put him in his first year. So I had to quickly put the focus on Sapp, the football player, which I did. Uh, and by the way, Jim, I know this is your podcast. I don't like mm-hmm. to use... Uh, uh, tough language, but uh, this is how I did it. Go ahead. Uh, and, and and Joe knows this, but um, I've heard in doing my research. Great story. In, in do, yeah, and Joe knows the story. <laughs> but Tim, in doing my research on Seth uh, and talking to different people, I happened to call Keyshawn Johnson. He was in Los Angeles, and I just ran it past him. Keyshawn, what, what do you think about Sap? Should he have a bust in Canton? And Keyshawn said, "Yeah, he be- you know he he he's a Hall of Famer. He's an asshole." But he belongs. <laughs> Nobody and said it's a hall Tim, of nice. It's a hall of fame. And, and Tim, when I hung up the phone with Johnson, I, I turned to uh, Martin Fennelly, our columnist at the Trib, and I said, Martin, I now have my opening for my SAP presentation. <laughs> because, because, first of all, now I don't have to call SAP an asshole, which right. he was. Um, <laughs> I got Keyshawn to do it. And then I add the final line, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And once I knew that the focus was on Sap, the football player, I, I felt pretty confident because he was a two-time All-Decade player. And by the way, um, guys, one more thing to throw into the mix, and uh, this could be problematical for me on Saturday. Might be. But um, Dawkins and Lynch, their careers, um, uh, while not quite a, you know, an exact match in terms of the years, um, it was the same era. And guys, Dawkins was one of two all-decade safeties for the 2000s. Lynch was not, and I know that's going to come up, uh, certainly by the guy from Philadelphia that, that presents Dawkins, and, and that's a tough one. On, on the surface, that's a tough one. Dawkins was all-decade. Lynch was not. Um, my answer is going to be that some guys' careers don't fit very neatly into one particular decade, and I think that's true. Uh, mm-hmm. Lynch, Lynch retired after 07. He retired, and Dawkins played throughout the 2000s. So, Joe, that's going to be my answer. We'll, we'll see if it's effective enough. Well, to give, check me on this if I'm wrong, but he had John played under um, Tony Dungy, um, and um, was, did he play for Gruden? Yes, he, he played, played for Gruden. He also played, okay. played a and year that, for Sam Weiss, too. And Shanahan. That's it. And Shanahan, yeah. yes. Okay, so, and yeah. then you talked about Belichick wanting him. You got three amazing coaches all want the guy to play for them, all want him to play in their system. Yeah. He walks away, you know, not only a star player, but somebody who three winning organizations wants. That's got to tell you something about the character of the guy. Absolutely. Um, now, I'm going to leave you guys with this story, and I'm going to let you guys uh, dissect the Super Bowl, which you're so good at. But I got a little story for you, and uh, okay. you're all going to appreciate this. But picture, picture your humble servant, Ira Kaufman, Sunday night. There yep. I am, got a slice of apple pie, a little ice, pistachio ice cream, gentlemen, 
I'm watching a rerun of Everybody Loves Raymond, and all of a sudden, my phone starts to beep. And I look at it, and I see 49ers hire John Lynch as general manager. And, you know, then the tweets go crazy. And I I turn to my wife, and I go, you're not going to believe this. You know, here I am. I'm finalizing my speech for the guy. And then I send Lynch a text, and I say, John, you're not supposed to scoop your presenter. That's what I said. (laughs) And then I said, congratulations, Ira. And uh, he called me the next day, and, and, you know, I mean, he kept this thing under wraps, guys. Nobody Mm -hmm. knew about this. No. Uh, I called Dungy. Dungy didn't know. Derek Brooks didn't know. Um, You know, he he, he went underground. Um, Now, guys, I I don't think this is going to affect anything in the room. Joe, I think, agrees with me. It shouldn't, um, Jim. But uh, you you never know. I'll tell you this. I got the seven-minute speech. It's written out. I do not refer to it in any manner. Zero. And Mm -hmm. I don't think I should. And I don't think I should. No, and I think that the point you you made, Ira, is that, um, you know, again, that speaks to the kind of person John Lynch is. If he can walk out of the television booth and walk into yeah. being a general manager, that clearly tells you that they have, you know, great respect for his ability to evaluate talent. Henderson, how, how can I get Jim Williams in the room with me uh, on Saturday morning? How can I do it? I make a great point. <laughs> You're going to have to rewrite your speech, I think. You've got to get in about the defense. You've got to get in about talent evaluation. Uh, you're, 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 get, get busy. Oh, we're at it. I've got one thing I, I really should say about Lynch as well, and that's against – if you put him up against Brian Dawkins, Brian Dawkins was a tremendous football player, but people can still play football like Brian Dawkins. You will never see another person play football like John Lynch. We don't allow people to play football like that anymore. Not bad, Tim. Not bad. Um, I'm going to leave you guys with my pick. Um, everybody's picking Atlanta. I, I can't find anybody that's picking New England. I don't know what's going on. I think they hate they hate the Pats. They're tired of the Pats. I know Henderson's like that. But, uh, Tim, I, I can't go against uh, Brady and Belichick. They're, they're driven for number five. They want to separate themselves from uh, Noel and Bradshaw. Um, first time around for the Falcons, uh, basically, this team. Uh, you know, Quinn's a young coach. Uh, Ryan's never been there before. So I'll say this. I think the Pats are going to win. But, uh, Tim, I don't know if you agree, but Atlanta will score its points. Atlanta will score its points. Uh, this is, you know, New England's not going to win this game 24-7. to That's not going to happen. Uh, this is the best offense in football for a reason. They spread you out. And they give Belichick a lot to worry about uh, for these two weeks. So, guys, I'm going with uh, with New England, uh, and um, we'll see what you guys pick. I'm going to listen to the end of the podcast uh, later, but um, I'll I'll go with the Pats to make history. Ira, we really appreciate you joining us as always, and you almost hit that 30 minute on the nose. So you've got this, you've even got your broadcasting skills done. You may be able to take John Lynch's place in the broadcast booth. But uh, have Thanks, a good guys. time in, a- have a good time in Houston, and uh, and we'll see you next hey, guys, week. Guys, when um, guys, when we talk next week, gentlemen, mm-hmm. um, I will uh, I'll give you the full uh, behind the scenes of what happened, and. Um, I'm either going to be a little depressed or I'm going to be uh, pretty jubilant. So uh, wish me luck, boys. Wish me luck. I, I, 
I've seen Ira when he's jubilant after yeah. after a Hall of Fame thing. It isn't pretty. I'm just saying. <laughs> but uh, Ira, <laughs> as they say in the legal profession, don't leave anything in the briefcase. Take so. care, guys. <laughs> All right. Take care. Uh, All right. Ira Kaufman in Houston, Texas, giving us a behind-the-scenes look at what happens at uh, you know when you vote for the Hall of Fame. Something that I certainly will never have an opportunity to do. Um, but I can certainly watch it, and I hope that John gets in. I hope everything works out well for Ira. Now, guys, there's a game, as I understand it. Um, it's going to be played after Ira does his stuff in Houston on Sunday between Atlanta and the New England Patriots. And like Ira said, there's a lot of people who are New England haters. I'm not sure they're Atlanta fans, but they're they're New England haters. Um, let's try to break this down. Let's start quarterbacks. Um, Brady versus Mr. Matt Ryan. Um, thoughts, Mr. Henderson? Well, uh, to break it down, first off, you have to to kind of eliminate. Uh, what we know about Brady's career, you just right. do. He's lost Super Bowls before, uh, right. not necessarily his fault, but it has happened. Mm-hmm. And certainly, on you know, if you were making the case uh, that Ira makes uh, for a Hall of Famer right now, you would walk up and say, "Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Brady," and sit down. Right. However, maybe and drop however, the mic. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, no need to thank me, but. Uh, at this point, uh, we know how motivated Brady is. We know Brady is, uh, you know, has been carrying this canyon-sized chip on his shoulder all year. We know this, mm-hmm. and he's and he's and he's backed it up. But doggone it, Matt Ryan isn't playing great football right now. I mean, you know that. W- just like everybody uh, up in the Northeast sees the Patriots all the time and, and in Miami and stuff down here, we see the Falcons a lot and they just get better and better and better and better. And if I'm not prepared to say that Brady's playing better than Matt Ryan right now. So I think it's even, I really do. Um, you know, I don't think the, the Falcons are going to be uh, at all in awe of, of the setting. I think they've been just where they where they convinced me was where they just obliterated Greenberry. I mean, I just did not see that coming. Uh, I thought Green Bay would score on them. They did not. I knew that Atlanta would score on Green Bay. They did. And uh, I mean, New England's been dominant, too. But I can you know, this to me is going to go down to the to the very wire, kind of like the Seahawks did a couple of years ago when they threw the ill-fated pass. Uh, at the end of the game. This is one of these um, matchups between two players when you talk about these quarterbacks that you usually only see in the NBA that happens a lot in the basketball playoffs where the current season's MVP will run up against the guy that across the board has had the best career, the ranking best player in the league. And um, typically that hasn't gone well for the regular season MVP, but that's, again, a different sport. But it's very interesting to see it happen in football because we're not certain that Matt Ryan is going to win the MVP of the league. But 
he seems to be the pick in a lot of people's eyes to have won MVP this year. He's certainly had a tremendous season. He's made a leap forward in a way that we haven't seen a quarterback make that in a long time. Maybe since Brady in 2007, when he went from being an extremely accurate quarterback to a more prolific passer with those Randy Moss offenses in New England. And now Matt Ryan's making this leap from an above-average quarterback to one of the best in the league. He's he. If I had a vote for MVP, he'd be my vote this season. But he's running up against the ranking legend in Tom Brady. And that's really interesting to see how that's going to play out because it's certainly not like Brady is where Peyton Manning was last year. He might be a similar age, but he's still very close to what looks like his prime. Yeah, he's he's close enough in his prime that, uh, you know, the uh, Patriots may well uh, trade Jimmy Garoppolo, their quarterback of the future this winter, uh, because Brady looks like he can play five more years. So um, I agree with you about your, about the MVP selection because I'm sorry, Tom, you missed four games. And the Patriots, not coincidentally, won three of those four games. And in the game that they lost, they were down to their third-string quarterback. So um, I don't think you can give all of the Patriots, put all of their success on Brady's shoulders. But, um, you know, for the side story, would it not be – high drama to see Tom Brady up on the uh, award platform in the uh, winning locker room after the game uh, as Roger Goodell hands over the, uh, the trophy. And uh, uh, that's, that's, you know, that's the game within the game. That's what people want. A lot of people want to see that. And uh, I wonder if Roger would give him a deflated trophy. uh, That would be, you know, yeah, you know, or or he, you know, give it to her and say, you know, you were still guilty. I don't care what you say. <laughs> how much, the mic think, how much do you think it weighs, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, so I uh, have to tell you, I live in the Boston area. Every time I've been in my car for the last five months, I have heard this conversation in some way or shape or form over the radio. You might as well just call this in New England Super Bowl Goodell. It is you'd think that he's the opposing team, not the Atlanta Falcons. And, you know, Atlanta's a great team. It's not like, it's not like people here that watch football don't recognize how good Atlanta is, but it really is all about Roger Goodell and all about trying to get revenge for this perceived slight about whether or not Tom Brady deflated footballs, of which I'm not sure the, Evidence has ever been proven or not proven, but it's too late now. It it just seems so silly. It seems so silly that this is the thing we're talking about with these two teams in the Super Bowl when it could be a shootout. And I'm not sure football's ever been more ready for a shootout in the Super Bowl. Well, the the playoffs to this point have just, with a with a couple of exceptions, have just been dreadful. Uh, the conference championship games were were blowouts. The the first weekend they were all all the games were terrible. Um, so we need a good football game. Now there is something is kind of stuck in the back of my head throughout all of this uh, buildup. 
was you remember a few years ago when New England was going for the perfect season and they were playing the Giants and they had beaten the Giants, but it was a close game and people were just kind of saying the Giants had blown their shot in that game and that, that you know, um, New England was going to be coronated. And well, we know what happened. And people didn't, a lot of people didn't think the Giants belonged on the same field with the Patriots. I'm not saying that people are saying that about the Falcons now, but as we heard Ira say before he left, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, I can't, I can't pick against the Patriots. Um, that's dangerous. I think the Falcons are going to be in this thing all the way. And you can argue that the Falcons have more playmakers than the Patriots do on offense. And the Falcons defense has been playing at a very high level. Uh, you know, just ask Aaron Rodgers about that. So, you know, we could see history repeat itself. People are anticipating, you know, Brady's revenge and all of that. And, uh, I believe it was the the terrific sports columnist at the Boston Globe, uh, Dan Shaughnessy, wrote a piece uh, right after the the matchup was set and goes, oh, Atlanta. Oh, great. Yeah, it's really exciting. Yawn. Um, I I think that's premature. I think Atlanta's got one heck of a team, and they could spoil the party. And And it just shows you where the Patriots are. It just shows you where the Patriots are in the Boston hierarchy that Dan Shaughnessy writes that. And it's so optimistic that the Patriots are going to win when in the New England area, usually he's the guy that's throwing water on everyone's parade. You know, the Falcons, Joe, on your point about the defense, the Falcons have allowed 20, uh, 20.5 points per game since they had a bye week in the 11th uh, week of the season. So that includes postseason. Prior to that bye week, they were allowing 28.3 points. So they made some adjustments during that time. Also, not for nothing in the Joe Henderson vernacular, uh, Vic Beasley, the Falcons' second-year pass rusher, has Mm -hmm. led the entire league with 15.5 sacks. And that's kind of important when you want to put pressure on Tom Brady that you've got a guy who can be a beast if need be. Yeah, you've got to put you've got to put uh, Brady on the ground. You got to smack him around a little bit, and um, and I would caution those who are uh, the buying into the Dan Shaughnessy. Uh, this is going to be boring uh, bit that um, Aaron Rodgers was playing at an extraordinarily high level when they went into Atlanta for the NFC Championship game, and he never had a chance in that game. The Falcons smothered him and that game was over quick and it was over decisively. And now I'm not going to say that's going to happen to the Patriots, but you know, you, if, if I'm a Patriots fan and I'm not, um, I have to maybe temper my enthusiasm just a little bit. This, they may win, but it's not going to be a coronation. I don't believe, um, you know, we'll see. It's a, that's why they play the game, as they say. But uh, I'm a, I'm a believer in the Falcons at this point. Yeah, well, I don't a... see any reason to. I don't see any reason to really think this isn't going to be a close game. I don't see, other than history, 
if you just looked at this season and forget about all the things Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have done together, which you can't, but if you just set those aside, then Atlanta's the better team. They come in as the better team. They should be favored in this game. They've had the better season. They've been playing the better football this year. Obviously, this game is played in last year, where the Patriots are consistently this great team, and Atlanta's new to the top. And that's going to come into the into the play in this game. But should it does Atlanta have a chance? Of course Atlanta has a chance. They come in as the better team in the 2016 season to this point. Guys, I'm thinking you got to look at Chris Hogan, who's just another one of Belichick's picks as wide receiver. He's been on four different teams from 19, I'm sorry, from 2011 to 2015. He found his home in New England. Things have been going well for him. He could be somebody that's going to have to keep an eye on because he's kind of like Brady's security blanket. And Deion Lewis, who's been uh, spelling time with Darius Blunt as a running back. Those are two guys who are not necessarily primetime people that you look out for, but they are guys who could come up big in a close game against the Falcons. I think this Oh, game... yeah, you, all, you always see these guys you, you haven't paid much attention to. There's always somebody who breaks out in the Super Bowl. So, yeah, those guys are as good a bet as any. Um, I would throw another one at you um, is Martellus Bennett. Um, he doesn't get the acclamation that a Gronkowski does, but uh, he's been very valuable. And um, against the Falcons defensive scheme, uh, I think that's a guy who could make some big plays on Sunday. What about uh, Mohamed Sanu? If, um, if they try to lock down Julio Jones, you think that uh, he could have a day? Oh, I absolutely do, and and that's that's uh, that's Belichick's style is to take away your your best weapon, and right. uh, you know the that's where that's where the Falcons' ground game, and as you mentioned, uh, a guy like Sanu, uh, who was kind of an under the radar pickup for them uh, in the off season from the Bengals, um, was the number three receiver there last year, and you're kind of going like, well, okay, you want him, you got him. Uh, but he's he's uh, he's a very valuable guy, and he's gonna he's gonna see he's gonna have some chances Sunday because they will try to take Julio Jones away, and um, you know usually when the Patriots set their mind on doing something like that, they're pretty successful at it. What about your buddy and somebody you and I have saw from a young person working up, Rich McKay? What would you, I mean? I think it would be nice to see Rich get this. He's he's a guy who's worked very hard, done a lot of good work for a number of different uh, players along the way from the Buccaneers and now with the Falcons. Um, what do you think about Rich and, and, and this possibility of him getting this uh, Super Bowl win? Well, I like Rich McKay. I think he's a class act. Um, I liked him when he was a quarterback at Tampa Jesuit High School. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and when when he when he moved here with his for uh with his when his father John McKay became the coach of the expansion buccaneers um rich is spooky smart uh he's just one of those guys that 
he knows he knows more than you, but he doesn't lord it over you, which I'm grateful for that, uh, considering the conversations I've had with him. But he is a guy that when you you really want to know the ins, you know, why something is the way it is, he's a guy you go to because he he can explain things in great detail and make you understand it. I just like the guy, and which is not to say anything bad about any of the Patriots, but you asked me about Rich McKay. Right. Uh, it's hard hard for me not to root for him. Um, you know, he's he got a raw deal here in Tampa Bay. I've, I've always believed um, the Bucks win the Super Bowl with him and John Gruden, and uh, there was a mad power grab by Gruden uh, in that offseason right after the Bucks won the Super Bowl. And he had kind of driven Rich McKay crazy that year with sort of his frenetic ways. Um, and at one point, uh, I've got this on pretty good authority that uh, Gruden loved to just come in and barge into Rich's office all times, you know, just trade for this guy, cut this guy. I want that guy. Uh, and finally, Rich had a secretary, uh, gave her an order that when Gruden came in, she was to stop him and tell him he had to make an appointment with the GM. Oof. And so, um, you know, Gruden wound up winning the power play in the off season because the Glazer family, a lot of people forget this. Um, McKay wanted to hire Marvin Lewis and mm -hmm. the, the Glazer family decided, no, that's too much like Tony Dungy's a defense first guy. We, 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 if we wanted that, we would have kept Tony Dungy. And and that's a reasonable argument on their part, by the way. So they go out and they give up all the draft picks to the Raiders and they get John Gruden and they win the Super Bowl. And now they got testosterone flowing through their veins because, you know, they won the Super Bowl. And not only that, they showed up uh, the smarty pants Ivy League kid who was their GM and Gruden wanted him gone. And McKay, before the next season was out, he was in Atlanta. Uh, and tell me why the Glaciers didn't put both of those men in a room, lock the door, and say, look, guys, John Rich is the GM. He gets the players. You coach them. We just won a Super Bowl. We'd like to win more. So let's get over this ego thing and work together. But no, they chose sides. And um, that's when the downfall of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers started. Well, no offense, but that's the reason that they're that the um, that the Falcons are going to the Super Bowl and um, and the Buccaneers aren't. So when, well, when people have asked me in the past why John Gruden isn't a head coach right now, and why he's he's a very good announcer, and the response I usually give is, look up the story of John Gruden and Rich McKay, and that's why he's not a head coach right now. Because he wants well, full control of a team. But he was an excellent game planner. He did a lot of good things. It would be nice to see Rich McKay win. Um, if the NFL ever needs a new commissioner, I can't think of anyone more qualified in the NFL to take that job than the son of a coach, the brother of a former player, and a guy who's had so much success as an executive. And another person I'd like to see get a trophy Work done. Minority owner of the Atlantic Falcons. He's he owns a small percentage of the team. He's he would be taking part in this. He would get a ring, and it would be wonderful to see work done finally get a ring. Yeah. 
Okay, boys, this is it. Time to pick. Timothy, quickly. Who social media comments on the game? Who's gonna win? How are they gonna win? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Tim Writes Sports. I really think that you can just cancel out the passing offenses in this game. They're both really good. I expect they'll both get a fair amount of what they want in the game. They'll both put up points in the passing game. So it's going to come down to everything else. Who makes the special teams plays? Who makes the running plays? Who's able to protect their quarterback better? And I think at the end of the day, in a very close game, I, I'm i stuck in that mindset. I can't pick against the Patriots. I, I certainly can't pick against the Patriots anywhere where my neighbors could hear me. Okay. Joe. So we got to block. We would have to block this uh, podcast out in in the Boston area if, right. if he had picked just against for, the Patriots. Just for safety purposes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, you can find me on Twitter at the initial J Henderson Tampa. Well, my head says New England, but there's this little voice in the back of my brain going, it's going to be different this time. And I've talked the Falcons up so much on this podcast. I, I just cannot pick against them. Um, I think it's going to be one of the all time classic games and it's skill versus skill, strength versus strength. And I think, uh, Matt Ryan emerges as the Super Bowl MVP. And Roger Goodell breathes the biggest sigh of relief in his life as the Falcons win a classic. Okay. 3128. 3128. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to have to go uh, begrudgingly with the Patriots. And um, there's a lot about being a first time team in a Super Bowl that's a lot of, that's tough. And, and then, of course, there's a lot of of um, with the Patriots being there so many times. It, it that's, you can't overemphasize how much that helps in getting prepared on every possible level. So, I think it'll be a fun game. I think it'll be a close game. I do think it'll be a bit of a shootout. I think that the uh, Patriots win. Uh, uh, let's how about twenty? How about twenty-eight, twenty-four? So. There you go. Two okay. Patriots wins and one Falcons, and we'll find out next week, or I'll burn the tape so nobody knows one way or the other. But um, It's actually three Patriots wins if you count Ira. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot that. Okay, well, Ira, of so course. Once again, I'm out, I'm out there on my island like when I picked Clemson. I'm just saying. Thanks for joining us on this special edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast for Ira Kaufman in Houston, Texas, for Joe Henderson in Tampa. For Tim Williams in Boston, I'm Jim Williams, your host, hoping you enjoyed this edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. And until next time, have a great Super Bowl weekend.